Welcome to Practical Christian Living. There's a sin nature in us, and it's not gone yet because we get selfish. We turn into our needs over other people's needs. We start loving ourselves more than we love God and we fail, so we cannot have eternal life. If we could do it, then we would have the right to enter into heaven, right? But we can't do it, so we have to fall back on the cross. Walk the walk and talk the talk. Today on Practical Christian Living, we are talking about living real and being real and making sure we don't preach one thing and then live another. We're in our series, Jesus Appointments, and we're looking at why Jesus dealt his harshest words toward the Pharisees. We're in Matthew 23, 1 through 39. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. We are gonna be talking today about how to help someone in need. When you become a Christian, something happens inside of you. You are transformed, you are changed. And I'm not just talking about the fact that your sins are forgiven. I'm not just talking about the fact that God fills you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not just talking about the fact that God's got a plan, a purpose, a call for your life, that he's gonna use you. There are some radical changes that take place in you. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, everything becomes new. When I became a Christian as an early teen, when I came back to Christ as a late teen, when I was 19 years old, I'll tell you some of the things that changed in my life. I went from not really caring about the Bible to wanting to know the Bible better. That's one of the things that happens when you become a Christian. All of a sudden you're like, this is God's word. I wanna know it. And we have an interest in reading it. We might have some trouble understanding it but we have an interest in it. And, and that's why a lot of you guys are here or watching because you wanna know the Word of God better. Another thing that happens is that God puts in us a heart of compassion for those who are in need. We wanna help people. We wanna help them in their eternities, spiritually, and we wanna help them physically. We don't always know how to do it, but we want to do it. And Jesus pointed this out in Matthew 25 when he divided the sheep from the goats. And he said to the sheep, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and I was in prison and you visited me. And then the sheep say, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or sick and in prison? And Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, then you've done it unto me. So something inside of us wants to help people who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and in prison. And when we do reach out to those who are in need, we are ministering to Christ and we are revealing that we've really made a commitment to him. This is the fruit of Christianity that is in each of our lives. Now, we have the account of the Good Samaritan that we're covering today. And I realize that a lot of you kids that are here have covered this in Sunday school. And that is probably a very familiar parable to all of you, but I think that you might be surprised with some of the things that we learn when we break it down line by line. For example, this came out of a conversation that Jesus was having with a lawyer. Let's take a look at it in verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up to test him. This tells us that this lawyer was not sincere. He wasn't asking a sincere question. He was testing him. And here's where, in my mind, all of the lawyer jokes start. 
I immediately think how many lawyers are sincere. I go into all kinds of things. If you're a lawyer here today, we love you. We thank you for being a lawyer. This is not like a lawyer we have today. It's not like a criminal lawyer. It's not like a real estate lawyer. It's not like lawyers that we might have that are here today. This is a man who had devoted his life to the study of the law in the Old Testament. The 613 commands, the books of Moses, how they applied. The lawyers were people who wrote laws, who informed people how they could keep the laws, who went and interacted with people that had differences about the laws. So he was a religious man who had spent his time in the Old Testament. And he comes to Jesus and he wants to test him. He wants to see, is Jesus going to say what I see out of the law? The law of Moses is his expertise. And he tests him saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now this question was asked by a lot of people. Nicodemus asked it sincerely and got a good sincere answer from Jesus. To Nicodemus, eventually Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This story doesn't end that way because he's not sincere. He is testing Christ. And so he said to him, Jesus says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? You tell me, you're the expert. What's your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is the right answer. This is correct. Jesus was asked by another lawyer, same kind of guy, what's the greatest of all of the commandments? There's a 620 of them, 613 of them. What's the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The same thing that he said here, the exact same thing. So that we know, Romans 13, 8 says that the law is summed up in this, that we love one another. It actually says, owe no one anything but love. You owe me love. You may not owe me anything else, but you owe me love. And I may not owe you anything else, but I owe you love. And the whole law is summed up in loving God and loving people. That's how the law is summed up. The Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the first four are about loving God. The last six are about loving people. If I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. If I love you, I'm not going to bear false witness. I'm not going to slander you. So we learn how to love by the law. Now he says that, that this is the way he's going to get eternal life. That was his answer to Jesus. Master, how can I have eternal life? Jesus said, well, what do you read in the law? Well, I love God and I love people. I'm going to live forever. And so Jesus says, yeah, you got it. Go and do it. And the thing is, is that none of us can do it. Even if we got a fresh start, I have not always loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I have always not loved my neighbor as myself. I realize that most of you guys have done that. All right, maybe not. Maybe from the response that I'm getting, maybe not. No, we haven't done that. Even recently, probably, right? And even if we got a fresh start and we said, okay, now, from here on out, I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, we probably would not be able to do it. In fact, I'm going to take the probably away. We would not be able to do it. Why? Because there's a sin nature in us, and it's not gone yet. Because we get selfish. We turn into our needs over other people's needs. We start loving ourselves more than we love God, and we fail, so we cannot have eternal life. If we could do it, then we would have the right to enter into heaven, right? But we can't do it, so we have to fall back on the cross and the work of the cross. 
So Jesus says to him, when he says, you've answered correctly, he said in verse 28, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. You want to know what eternal life is? Well, yeah, exactly. Do it and you'll live. And then in verse 29, he says, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is funny because immediately he thinks, okay, I got to love my neighbor as myself, but I want that to be as few people as it possibly can be. So who's my neighbor? Is it the guys living right next door to me? Are those guys my neighbors? Is it the guy behind me? Is it the three guys that live around behind me and the two beside me? What about the people across the street? Is it the one house directly across? Is it the two houses directly across? Just how big is this group of people that I have to love? Because I don't want to love everybody. And there's reasons for that. We don't like to love people that are different than us. And I want to talk a little bit about that and maybe hit a little bit close to home today. All right, so get, guys, get ready for that because it's on its way. But he, he wants to figure out who he has to love. I mean, it's supposed to love everybody. It's not possible to love everybody. Now, the Old Testament law said to love strangers in their midst, but never said to love everybody. Love your neighbor. In the New Testament, Jesus said, you owe love to everyone. You love everybody. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Now, you might ask what one another is, but you can look at love in the New Testament enough to know that that's what God wants from us is that we would love everybody. We could say that that's the most important thing that God has in our lives is that we treat the people we interact with, no matter who they are, with love. There's never a time to justify not doing that. Even sometimes we'll ask somebody to leave the church. Somebody will be here at the church with the wrong motives. Maybe we've done it when we've identified men that are here to try to take advantage of the girls that are here, of the young women that are here. And we've identified it and we've approached them, we've, we've confronted them, and then we finally say, we want you to leave. And we try to do that out of love. Even though we're asking them not to be here because we want to protect the people who are here, we still want that person to come to Christ. We want them maybe later on to realize that what we were doing, we were doing out of love and that we were kind to him while we did it. So we try to treat everyone with love, even the wolves. That's what I'm telling you. Even at times when we have to say someone, you can't be here, we try to do it out of love because that's what we're told in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it wasn't so. So he wants to know who his neighbor is. So Jesus gives him this story. Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, was stripped. They stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him for dead. Jerusalem is a mountain. I forget what the elevation of Jerusalem is. It's easy to look up. I could put it in a search engine and look it up in two seconds. I didn't take time to do that. It's somewhere around 3,500 feet above sea level, I think, maybe a little bit more than that. And Jericho is 1,000 feet below sea level. It's on its way down to the Dead Sea, which is 1,200 feet below sea level at the surface of the water in the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on earth. You very rarely get places that are below sea level by that far. And so the road down from Jerusalem had a lot of switchbacks because it's 17 miles and there's a lot of switchbacks that are going downhill a lot. And I've taken that journey in a bus that could seat 55 people. And when we got there we, to, to Jericho, we applauded the bus driver. Thank you that we are still alive because you're looking over these precipices as you're going around these switchbacks and the bus has to go really slow with traffic coming the other way. And it was like, okay, that's the road today. Imagine it in their day. 
It had the switchbacks still. They had to. You just couldn't go straight downhill that way. So they had the switchbacks. They were bringing carts and camels and stuff up and down that road. And it was a place where thieves would take advantage of people. And so this man was beaten by thieves. He was stripped and he was left for dead. We could say that he has a great need. This man has a great need in his life. It says in verse 31, now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. Just by chance, a priest shows up. And you might think that could be good news. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. A priest is the, well, the high priest is, has the highest position in Israel. A priest was supposed to be a mediator between God and man. He stood between God and man and gave the sacrifice. That's why we don't have priests today. We have one mediator, that's Jesus Christ, and he is our high priest. So I do have a priest. It just happens to be Jesus who is my priest by the order of Melchizedek. And he stands between me and God. But a priest in their day stood between the people and God. And if anybody should have had compassion on him, it should have been this priest. Second would be a Levite. A Levite is in the family of Moses. Moses was a Levite. Levites were set aside so that they could take care of the spiritual needs of Israel. There was no land that was a tribe of Levi, but the Levites had cities that were throughout all of Israel so they could take care of the spiritual needs of the people. And this is even an act of compassion on God, and we'll explain that at some other point. Quickly, Simeon and Levi destroyed Shechem, and they were cursed by their father that they would not be given land in Israel or they wouldn't have land in Israel. That was fulfilled by Simeon being assimilated into Judah not having their own land and God blessing Levi with being able to minister to the nation in different places and not given their own piece of land. So God used that curse and even turned it around for a blessing. That's how awesome our God is. He can take curses and he can turn them around and he can use them for blessings. But if anybody should have stopped and helped, it was a priest. And secondly, it was a Levi. But he says when he arrived at the place, he came and looked. He's a little bit more interested than the then the priest who just walked on the other side and he passed by on the other side. He was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm out of here. Now, I love when people speculate what these guys thought. Well, this priest probably thought if I touch that dead body, then I'm going to be unclean for seven days. I won't be able to do my work. Or maybe those thieves are still lurking around. He didn't think that. The priest didn't think that. The Levi didn't think that. Why? It's a story. It's a parable. The priest didn't exist the Levite didn't exist. They didn't have any of those thoughts. He's simply telling us that for that priest and for that Levite to walk by, a man in great need is immoral. They should have stopped and they should have helped. And for us to walk by people with great need is immoral. We should stop and we should help them. We of all people, the Bible says, if you give to the poor, you lend unto God and God repays you. We should have compassion. Then he says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, we've talked about the Samaritan some, so I don't want to go into great detail here, but I do want to just kind of highlight it for those of you who may not be familiar with them. The Samaritans were a different people group than the Jewish people that lived in Israel. They were descendants of Assyrians and Jews that had intermarried, they lived on Mount Gerizim and the area of Samaria used to be the capital of Israel when it was a divided kingdom. 
And there were several villages in Samaria that were occupied by Samaritans. They were different politically than Israel. They were different religiously than Israel. They were a different people group than the people of Israel. So they were radically different. And the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people and the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritan people. In fact, if you were Jewish and you said to another Jew, you are a Samaritan, is a, a bad word. And they said that to Jesus, remember? And they said to him, now we know that you are a liar and a Samaritan. They called Jesus a Samaritan. Now, today, that word's been totally flipped. And if I say to you, you're a Samaritan, that means something good, doesn't it? It means that you're a person who helps people. And I love how a name that was derogatory to the Jewish people has been turned around now to mean something that is incredibly positive. But this Samaritan sees him and it says two things about him. Number one, he saw him. Number two, he had compassion. And these are the first two things that I think about that we need if we're going to help the people around us. Number one, we have to see them. We have to be aware of the people that are around us, the people we interact with, friends, families, co-workers, acquaintances, their friends, their families, people that we see driving down the road that have great need and we just drive by them and we don't even think about them. I would say the first thing we need to do is look around us to see the people that are in need. We here at the church support Gospel Rescue Mission. They help the homeless in Tucson and we support them. We think it's good. I think it's good for you to support them personally. It's a way for you to invest in those that are, are the poorest among us. And they give them the gospel. They take care of their personal needs. But that's not what we're talking about here. It's good to do that. I encourage you to do it. I encourage you to give to them. Look, look for them to be a charity you give to. We support the Samaritan's Purse, which is Franklin Graham's organization. They bring the gospel around the world and they care for people's needs around the world. And we think that they are a great organization to reach out and not only help people who are in Tucson, but help the poorest people around the world. Personally, I want to help the poorest people in Tucson and I want to help the poorest people around the world. And I think that's because I'm a Christian. That's one of the transformations God gave me. But that's not what we're talking about here. I don't just get to give some money and then go, I'm, I'm done. I have a responsibility when someone comes across my path that has a need. Doesn't mean I have to help everyone that comes across my path. It means that I should be thoughtful, that I should be seeing, that I shouldn't just be ignoring. And of course, for us, most often, that's going to be the guy standing on a street corner with a sign that says, I will work for food. Should you help that person? Last night I said I was going to, do, and I forgot. I was going to come back to it and cover it. And then I forgot, my, my wife told me later on, I was praying for you that you wouldn't forget. And I forgot until the very end when I came back from the prayer. I said, listen, by the way, I don't, and no, so let me just tell you now, all of that to say, let me tell you now. I don't know that you have to help every person that you see on a street corner with a sign. But I also don't know that you shouldn't. I'm a cashless society. I don't carry cash anymore. You guys like that? I just don't carry cash. So when I see someone, I don't have any money to give them anyway. I don't have anything to give them. So a while back, I went to the bank and I got $100 worth of ones and I kept it in my car until they were gone and then I forgot about it. I, then that may be a good thing for us to do. 
We may just go, you know what? It might not need to be $100. It might be more than that, it might be less. But something that you maybe get some fives or some 20s or whatever you want to do. And you go, I'm going to give this money to people that I come across who are in need. And you, you might say a few things. There might be some compassion killers in your life. You might look at that person that's on that corner with his two dogs and say, he's asking for food to feed himself. He's got dogs. Why has he got dogs? There might be what I call compassion killers in our lives. Let me give you three. I think there's more than this. But here's three compassion killers. He was an aware neighbor. He saw people and he was a compassionate neighbor. And I think these could be compassion killers. Number one, he got himself into this position. We see him and we go, you know what? They're probably an addict. They probably want to live on the street. They got themselves in this position. And the thought is, therefore, I don't have to help them. And it may very well be true. They may have gotten themselves. When you come across someone that has a great need, they may have gotten themselves into that position. They may have been at fault. But just let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten yourself into trouble and God had compassion on you? Have you ever been the, the reason you got into trouble and then God rescued you and showed his love towards you? So that should not come into play. We want to be careful that we don't enable. I understand that. I have a family member who's an addict. I want to help her every way that I can. But I've got to be careful because it, it, it truly does enable her. So I need to be careful that my help is real help and that I find ways other than just giving her cash. I've got to be able to do that. But I could easily say she got herself into this situation, therefore relieving me from having to have compassion on her. It's a compassion killer. Another one would be they'll use this for the wrong thing. If I give this guy on the street corner $20 right now, he's not going to go buy food with it. He's going to get drunk. And then God's going to be mad at me because I'm responsible for getting the guy drunk. That's a compassion killer. First of all, you're not responsible if he takes your money and goes and gets drunk with it. He's responsible. You're not. Unless you give him the money and say, go get drunk. Then maybe you'll have some responsibility. Other than that, it doesn't matter. You give in the name of Christ. You're giving because you've seen someone. You've been moved to have compassion on them. And now you want to give to them. It may be somebody that you hear of that is going through a particularly hard time and they're struggling in their home. Let me give you an example of one that happened a few years ago. A family at our church that was a regular attender, their house burned down. And I love that in the church organically, it wasn't, didn't go through any leadership. Organically, a group of people got together and they pooled money together. And then they came to the church and they said, could we like have an, a, a fund here at the church that people could give to to help them? And so we let the body know in a more general sense. But I love that it didn't start with me saying, hey, you guys, we got a family that got burned out of their home. Would you help? It started by people in the church that saw their great need and said, I can't help them completely, but I can help them. And I think other people can help them and we might be able to get enough to really help them. And we were able to do that. You might say they'll use it in the wrong way, especially if their struggle has anything to do with them, what they have done. The final grace killer I have, I think there's others, but the final grace killer that I have is that sometimes we are prejudiced. They're not like us. They're different than we are. And I'm not just talking racially. 
No difference should ever stop us, but it does. And it's worth us evaluating and asking ourselves. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.